If you don't understand the political dynamics of Jerusalem, you're never going to have your head around Holy Week. Jerusalem is a powder keg. The Romans are the occupiers. The people on the streets, the masses, are ready for a revolution. And caught in between is the temple establishment. Their job is to collect taxes from the people and keeping a riot from breaking out. As long as they fulfill that role, their lives will be pretty good. The Roman governor is Pontius Pilate. He doesn't live in Jerusalem. He doesn't like Jerusalem. He doesn't come to Jerusalem unless he has to. When he does, he stays at Herod's palace, but he has to be there now because it's Passover. Jesus of Nazareth is going to be the match that lights the powder keg. It was bad before from their perspective, but when he raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany, all of the people began to gravitate toward him. They had already determined that Jesus was a problem who needed to be solved. But with his sudden rise in popularity, there's simply no way to get to him without causing a riot. So they devise a plan. They'll wait until Jesus is isolated. They'll arrest him quietly. They'll run him through a sham of a hearing and they will turn him over to the Romans and with any luck at all, Jesus of Nazareth will be hanging on a cross before his supporters even know that he's there. That's the plan. But they needed an asset. Jesus is at a dinner party and a woman breaks open a jar of expensive perfume and pours it over Jesus' head. The people are outraged. Among them, Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. And they were especially outraged when Jesus does not criticize the woman, but criticizes them. Suddenly, the temple has their asset. Judas will be the betrayer. Jesus was in an upper room with his disciples. He reinterpreted the Passover, his body, his blood. And then he takes them up over the Temple Mount, down into the Kidron Valley, and up into the Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane. We would think of it as a small park in an olive grove. Jesus has 11 disciples. Judas has already bolted. He leaves eight of them at the gate. He takes three inside, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus begins to pray. The night has set in. And Jesus doesn't pray like a person hoping to live. Jesus prays like a person who knows they're going to die. And the weight of the world is on him. He asks his disciples to stay awake, but they can't. But it doesn't matter anyway. Because coming over that same hill and down that same valley and up that same slope is a delegation sent out by the temple, probably a hundred or so carrying torches, heavily armed. A few Roman soldiers, some of the temple guards, some various and sundry officials, all led by the servant of the high priest and Judas Iscariot. Jesus' disciples would have seen him coming for several minutes. There's no way to miss them. 
They could have run if they wanted to, but Jesus didn't come to Jerusalem not to die. He came to die. He chose to stay. When the arresting party and the disciples collided in the garden, Judas betrayed Jesus with the traditional Middle Eastern greeting of a kiss. Why? Because it's dark. And Judas needed to identify who the person was that was being arrested. Jesus asked, who are you wanting? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And when he said, I am he, a shockwave went out. And everybody fell to the ground. They could have easily disappeared into the night. But they didn't come to Jerusalem not to die. Jesus surrendered himself after a scuffle. Ear off, ear on. The disciples scattered into the night. And Jesus is taken down the hill into the Kidron Valley, up and over the Temple Mount, over to where all the rich folk live, and the home of Caiaphas, the high priest. It's nighttime, it's getting late. They've kept a delegation of the Sanhedrin around, enough to have a quorum. You need to understand, this is not a hearing. This is a lynching, but they are trying to have enough legality around it they can answer the mail. And so this illegal hearing takes place. It's illegal according to Jewish law to have a hearing after dark. It's not duly been called and announced. And they bring in these witnesses against Jesus. But the whole thing's a disaster. The witnesses can't get their stories together. The whole thing has fallen apart. Finally, the high priest asked Jesus, are you the son of God? When Jesus replies to the affirmative, he rips his clothing in anguish and outrage, declares blasphemy. Jesus is guilty. They slapped him. They shoved on him. They pushed him around. Everybody gets really brave slapping a man that can't fight back. And now, it's really late at night, and they had to do something with Jesus. The house of Caiaphas has been discovered in Jerusalem. It's the house. It's a good site. And underneath it is an area that looks a bit like a cistern chipped into the limestone, but It wasn't a cistern, it was a holding cell. You would take a prisoner and put a rope around them and drop them in. They can't get out. And then when you wanted them out, you just got some people and you pulled them out of the hole. It was really pretty simple. Jesus would have been put there. When the morning came around, the religious establishment had gathered in mass. And the next step was to march Jesus to Herod's palace. Everything's pretty close in Jerusalem. You're, you're not moving more than 100 or 200 yards here. When they get to Herod's palace, Pilate has come out at six in the morning to start his day. He's got a busy day already. He's got three crucifixions planned. And the worst of them is a guy named Barabbas that they've been after for some time. Pilate's gonna enjoy watching him be crucified. The last thing he wants is a crowd radiating at a high speed with a prisoner. But that's what they've got. 
Pilate said, what's the charges against this man? They said, if, we, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have him here. And Pilate said, it doesn't work that way. Pilate never did like the Jews. He gives Jesus a hearing. He correctly ascertains Jesus is of no threat to Roman law. And he tells the people, I've talked to him. I'm going to release him. And they begin to get wound up. Pilate goes to plan number two. Beat Jesus to a pulp. Bring him out. Show that he's no threat to anyone and release him. And they probably overdid it. They brought Jesus out now largely unrecognizable. And it had the opposite effect that Pilate was hoping for. And finally, when they began to say, you are no friend of Caesar, Pilate was hearing charges against himself. The kind of charges that could get you fired. So Pilate declares that Jesus of Nazareth is guilty. The only crime he could possibly be guilty of would be sedition, being a revolutionary. Pilate knew he wasn't that. But it didn't matter. Sacrificing one man to keep his job was a no-brainer for Pilate. Keeping the temple establishment happy as you could keep them was a no-brainer for Pilate. I get the strong feeling that for whatever reasons, Pilate wasn't a good guy. But for whatever reasons, he did not want to crucify Jesus. But he felt he was between a rock and a hard place. And so finally, he says, fine. Jesus of Nazareth is way overbeaten. And he's standing between the Romans and the temple establishment. A rock in a holy place. And Pilate declares his guilt. And Jesus is condemned to die on a cross. Pilate's final play hadn't worked either. Every year at Passover, there was a prisoner released to appease the people. And so Pilate said, hey, who do you want me to release? Barabbas, this revolutionary murderer who makes your life miserable every day, or Jesus of Nazareth, this man that can barely stand up and is no threat to anyone. And when they cried Barabbas, there was nothing else to be done. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on a cross that was erected for Barabbas. There would be two other men who would be crucified as well. Pilate symbolically brought some water out and upon the condemnation, he washed his hands of the matter as if he could do that, as if you could do that. So here we stand. Jesus of Nazareth, beaten mercilessly, whipped, flogged, beaten with a rod, bleeding, dying, 
and he's condemned. Pilate walks back to the palace and Jesus stands alone. No human being in the history of the world will ever be as alone as Jesus will be in the hours to come. And he suffered that loneliness so we would never have to be lonely again. In the garden, Jesus had said a simple prayer. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup, the cup of his blood, pass from me. But not my will be done, but yours. The petition had been denied. And now Jesus stood convicted by his own people, condemned by Roman occupiers, beaten, possibly beyond even the ability to stand in that moment, probably unrecognizable. And we know from the text it was cold. It would have been shivering. What happened next took no imagination at all. He was turned over to the process. The process somewhat varied in execution, but the idea was always the same. The soldiers would come out, and with everyone who was there, it was still early in the morning, with everyone who was there, they would make fun of the condemned. They would make sport of them. They brought out a purple robe, which signified royalty. They made a crown of thorns, but Jesus had just been overbeaten. Wasn't much fun. So they did as little as they had to do, and then they cracked on with it. The idea was that there had to be a procession. The condemned had to carry their cross from the place that they were condemned to the place of crucifixion. Not very far. Not very far at all. But Jesus wasn't able to go. And it presented a problem right away. He would have been surrounded by five soldiers. The soldier in front would carry a placard that would announce to the public the crime. There would be a soldier on each side, a soldier in the back. It was a box and one. The placard read, King of the Jews, the only crime Pilate could have hung on Jesus, revolutionary. The Jews were insulted and asked that he change it to, he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate would have no, none of it. He was over this morning. In fact, he had the sign printed in Greek and Aramaic and Latin, Hebrew. When the procession began to move, it was clear Jesus wasn't going to be able to go. And that presented a problem, but not a problem that had never occurred before. 
There's a provision in Roman law that you could impress someone, not a Roman citizen, but you could impress someone off the street to carry a load on behalf of Rome for a certain amount, a certain distance. And they tapped Simon of Cyrene with a sword on the shoulder, said, you're going to have to carry the cross. Simon had to think, terrible. He had no choice whatsoever. Cyrene is a city in northern Africa. It was probably in Jerusalem for the Passover. Would have never seen this coming. So as they started out from Herod's palace, there would have been the man in front with the sign. Soldier, soldier. Jesus without a cross in the middle. A soldier, a soldier. Simon carrying the cross would have been behind. And they were required by law to take the most public route possible to the crucifixion site. You see, a part of a crucifixion was deterrence. The idea was this could happen to you. This is what happens to people who get on Rome's last nerve. You could be here next time. You better behave yourself. Crucifixions had started in Persia. The Persians believed that the land was sacred, the earth was sacred, and that the bones of the evil, of wicked people, desecrated the earth. So they would erect a pole and basically shish kebab somebody on it. And they just hung up there until they died. And then their bones and their skull eventually would fall on the ground when they rotted off. And nothing went underneath the ground. The Carthaginians saw the practice and loved it. The Romans adopted it from the Carthaginians. It was cruel but usual punishment. As they pushed through the city, there were some women who came in behind. I think the most underreported aspect of Jesus' entire ministry was the role of women. There were women disciples from Galilee, they were not only part of the discipleship community, some of them were Jesus' benefactors. They were in Jerusalem with him. The disciples had all scattered, but the women were there because they were loyal, possibly because there was significantly less risk to them. Nobody's going to hang a woman on a cross. Not in those days. So they followed Jesus, weeping, wailing, mourning. And Jesus said to them, weep for yourselves. Dire times are ahead. Weep for yourselves. He was no doubt speaking of the fall of Jerusalem. It would happen just some four decades later. And some of the people who watched Jesus on that day would be alive to see that prophecy fulfilled. When they finally got to the place of the skull, outside of town, outside of the gates, almost certainly where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre currently is, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is built on top of an old quarry pit that they used to build walls during the time of the kings. 
and the pit turned into a graveyard. And the graveyard turned into a crucifixion site when the Romans took over their world. And now it was very efficient and very handy. It was close to town. You could crucify and bury someone right there. When they got to the place of crucifixion, they would have laid the cross down. If it was the small T cross that we normally think of, there were several varieties of crosses, but they would have laid the cross down. And they would have taken Jesus' mutilated body and they would have stretched one hand out. And archaeologists tell us they would have driven an iron spike through his hand. The pain would have been excruciating. They stretched the other arm out and drove another stake. And then the text says they did something different. It says they they drove nails through his feet. Up to a few years ago, there was actually no archaeological evidence of any skeleton who had suffered crucifixion ever having their feet nailed to a cross. Until, of course, there was. It was discovered, not with the feet laid over like this and a single nail on the front, but the ankles to the side of the cross with two separate nails through the ankles. The idea of a crucifixion was really pretty simple. You just had somebody hang up there till they died. Usually it took a while, but Jesus was probably three quarters dead before they put him up there. They would have had to get the cross vertical. To do that, they would have put a stop at the bottom and they would have gotten ropes and lifted Jesus up. But there was a slot that was cut into the rock And when they got to the slot, the cross would fall down. And Jesus' body would be jolted. He's already lost a lot of blood. He's no doubt in shock from the spikes being driven through his body. And now he suffers a massive jolt. Victims of crucifixion didn't die normally of exposure, of even blood loss. They actually suffocated. You're hanging here, and before long, you cannot hold your weight anymore. The nails aren't driven through here. This tendon doesn't hold you. The nails were driven through here and here. And after a while, you have no strength, and you suffocate. Jesus had very little strength. What few words he would say would come at great effort. And there he was. So many people had placed their hope upon him. And now he was helpless on a cross. Some had to wonder would angels come down? Destroy the world and set him free and usher in the kingdom of God. Others had to wonder, would an armed 
militia come up over the hill and fight off the Romans and take Jesus down from the cross and torch the revolution. There had to be anticipation. Jesus had so many followers. There was so much energy around him. Everybody had to be looking, waiting for something to happen. And what happened was nothing. Except the clouds begin to bank up. And the day turned into night. And there he hung. There's debate as to who actually killed Jesus. Was it his own people who determined he was too big a threat to their power? That he was just too unpredictable and too popular? And in fear and jealousy, they ran him through a sham of a hearing. Is it on them? Others argue they didn't have the power to crucify him. It all came to Pilate. Pilate knew he wasn't guilty of anything chargeable by Roman law. And he was pressured, if you will, perhaps through his own ambition that he allowed to override a sense of right and wrong at that moment. But he condemned Christ. Was it the temple establishment or was it the Romans that killed Jesus? As you look at the image of him hanging on a cross, it gets pretty clear it wasn't either of them who killed Jesus. Jesus wasn't on that cross because he had no choice. Any point in the process early, he could have just left Jerusalem. Even at this moment, he could have still audibled off, and God would have set him free. You and I crucified Jesus, it was our sin that penned him to that cross. It was you and me that kept him there. Love kept him there. And there he hung. The price required for the sins of the world. And so dark was that moment that even God turned away.